Welcome back to another episode of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With our host, a host who's been on this journey longer than most, 19 years and counting, our pancreatic cancer survivor, Roberta Luna. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. (laughs) Today, you have something that I've been anxious to hear more about. Just as the journey that you and many others on is a mystery to me, what happens when you get diagnosed, what do you do, how do you handle it, how does the family around you support you, what do the doctors do, all that stuff. There's another element to it. The people who are frantically trying to find cures or answers or solutions or therapies or whatnot, the, the researchers, right? Right. We never see these people. They live in some dark, mysterious <laughs> world at the top of a castle or something here where they don't actually come out into the open and talk. You found one, and she's going to join you today here. Introduce your guest here. Yes, thank you very much. I am with Dr. Melissa Roland Goldsmith. She is an associate producer and co-director of the Institute of Excellence in Teaching and Learning at Chapman University. And I think you said associate producer. Oh, I'm sorry. So associate <laughs> professor. I'm probably thinking I'm the Maybe associate she puts, professor. Yeah, you're the associate producer <laughs> in the show. Yeah, all right. No, I'm sorry. She's the associate professor. She teaches a lab class where they do some unique pancreatic cancer research, as well as teaching students how to communicate with cancer survivor patients and non-scientists in layman terms, which I highly appreciate. Welcome, Melissa, and thank you so much for coming today. I really do appreciate it. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry I called you an associate producer. Could you share your your connection or your personal story with us with pancreatic cancer? Sure. So when I was in graduate school, I knew that I really wanted to get into some kind of cancer research, and I wasn't exactly doing that in graduate school. So when I was finishing up and applying or looking into postdoctoral work, I knew it had to be cancer. That just been something I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid. And originally it was leukemia, and it was leukemia because when I was in grade school, there was a little girl, actually middle school, who was undergoing chemotherapy treatment and she lost her hair through the treatment and she was required to go change into her uniform for PE, even though she couldn't play. And she had to pull out her wig, pull off her wig. And all the girls, except me, laughed at her. And that was the moment when I knew I needed to do something with cancer. I just felt so bad. And when we graduated eighth grade, she wasn't there because she had passed away. So by the time I got to my postdoc, time for me to apply for postdoc, there was great treatments for leukemia. But around that same time, I had a very dear friend's mom diagnosed with this unknown cancer that I really knew nothing about, which was pancreatic. And then somebody at my local synagogue, who I didn't know very well, but was quite young, was also diagnosed. And within a matter of a year, both of these people passed away. So I just knew that that had to be the cancer that I needed to get into research for. And I was very fortunate when I landed a postdoctoral position at UCI with Dr. Murray Cork, who's a a really world-renowned pancreatic cancer researcher. And that began my journey in late 1997. And I've been with pancreatic cancer, that is the disease I study, ever since. 
I'm just amazed that as at a young age, you already knew that you wanted to go in into um, oncology. That's um, just a difficult thing to know, even as an adult, but to be so young. How old were you when you were in school with this this uh, other girl? So like, like I said, it was uh, late grade, so it was actually middle school. So I believe okay. it was seventh grade. Wow. And uh, she was not even a close friend of mine, but she was a friend, and I just remember the locker room and having to change and and just seeing how embarrassed she was and sad and how how cruel those girls were just laughing and laughing because of course she didn't have any hair when she took off that wig to pull her shirt off but she inspired you to she, do something she inspired me her name was Lori yeah That's amazing yeah. have you had any connection with any uh, anybody else other than the two that you mentioned with pancreatic cancer well so then i started my my journey as a pancreatic cancer researcher in, in Murray's lab and I was working with pancreatic cancer cells day in and day out and I was working with mouse models treating them with pancre uh, creating pancreatic cancer models and then treating them with what I was trying to to use to slow down or inhibit the cancer growth and that was almost five years, and I didn't know anybody at that point. And so Murray told me about a walkathon for pancreatic cancer. And he told this to me on a Thursday, and the walk was on a Saturday. I called up my husband, and I said, guess what? We're coming back down to Irvine for this walk. But I said, Murray, what organization is this? And I thought it was going to be the American Cancer Society, and maybe it was a sub-walk sub just for pancreatic cancer. I was wrong. There was this organization that was brand new called PanCan. And so I printed out the information for all 10 or 12 researchers in our laboratory. We were either postdocs, we had some grad students. This is what we did full time was pancreatic cancer research. And they all said they were going to come to this walk. And it was right there in Irvine. And I lived a bit of a distance compared to everybody else. And my husband, who's fantastic, joined me. And I thought the other 10 who said they were going to be there would also join me and that we'd show the community that, look, here's a whole group of us doing pancreatic cancer. Now, Murray was unable to come. He told that to me ahead of time that he had some other obligation that Saturday, or I'm sure he would have been there. The first person I saw at this walk was this person who had a shirt that said something about cancer. He looked fantastic. And I said, oh, do you have a family member with pancreatic cancer? And he said, yes, it's me. I'm a five-year survivor. And his name was Randy Stein. And we ended up walking with Randy and his wife, Judy, the entire walk and heard about their journey. Now, all the textbooks and all the publications I've read at that point in, this was now in 2001, stated that less than 5% would survive at that point. And here he was. He was exactly what I wanted to meet was this five-year survivor. And he was just so inspirational. And that was the missing link for me because I was just working with the cells and the mice. And I, I finally had this human connection. And my husband and I became involved in PanCan. And as we became involved in that, our, uh, about a year later, we roped this couple, Randy and Judy, into helping us put on a charity regatta. And we became super, super close. And we were with Randy and Judy for the last two years of his life. We were inseparable. 
and they even inspired us to adopt our son in Russia. And uh, we, I just really saw the, the whole journey uh, with him. And I just knew that I needed to meet more survivors and become friends with more people. And so from that point on, my husband and I became super involved with PanCan and other organizations such as Hirschberg. And we've met our group of friends and you being one of them. Thank Very you. dear friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like how you say roped them in. Mm. I think the word we use now is kind of like voluntold. <laughs> but I, I, I like how you, you roped them in and they were a great inspiration. I didn't have the chance, unfortunately, to meet Randy, but um, still he's been an inspiration because I've heard his story so many times and it's just I wish we would have met. But unfortunately, we weren't able. Um, I have met his wife, Judy, of course, and she's been great as well. Putting the personal touch into this, does it make your research different? Does it make it better? Does it make it harder to do? It makes me so much more inspired to put that personal touch. When I'm tired, I think about all of you. When I'm frustrated and things don't work out, I think that I just have to keep moving forward and trying again, um, changing things out. And so without a question, it makes me a much better researcher and person. How do we get other researchers to take on that same? I know I know it's difficult, but you know, a lot of times, I don't know how you choose the field that you choose. I don't know if it has anything to do with funding or notoriety at some point or you know, finding the cure. What do you know what basically the reason a lot of research will select the field that they go into? I think a lot of them do go in for personal reasons, like I did having a connection with this cancer. But then, unfortunately, there are a lot that just uh, will go where there's funding. And they want to use the skills that they have and go do research and, and actually switch to another cancer if the funding is better for that cancer. Some people will work with multiple cancers, and, and, and that's great, too. But I'm really trying to to make a difference for my students at my uh, undergraduate institution in getting them connected with whatever cancer they study or if they become physicians, that they become compassionate researchers or MDs. I know one of the the classes that you do teach, and like I said in, in the intro, I'm very thankful for that is you teach your children, your, I'm sorry, your children. They are like <laughs> my children. Yeah, I think they do become your children. You teach your students to interact with the patient, survivor, and the families with the layman turns to present what's happening to them in that way. Um, even with your researchers, some that are choosing maybe to go more into being a doctor versus those being a researcher. Do the researchers really have much one-on-one with the patient when, at all? When I was in at UCI, unless I did something like PanCan, no, we were we were removed. We were in a in a very basic research building, so we never saw any patients, any survivors. Now it depends. When when Murray moved to Dartmouth, there you had to go through the hospital or the cancer center to go up on the elevator to get to the lab. So every day you had to somehow see, maybe not interact, but at least see these patients that you were trying to help. So I think in places like that, how could you not somehow connect? Uh, But those are few and far between, I think. A lot of research labs are just in, in buildings that are not right next to the hospital or cancer center. 
Is there any way that we can get researchers more involved personally so that I, I would think that when you're looking at it in a personal way, maybe you want to do a little bit more, go a little bit further. I don't know. Is there a way, any suggestions or thoughts on how so, to get that well, done? Well, I, I'm trying to hopefully create a movement here, if you will, with my class at the undergraduate level. I think why wait until they get to graduate school? And even like I said, when I was in graduate school, I had no connection with any kind of patient, even in what I was working with. So I'm trying to get my students to connect now and, and see and make that human connection so that when they go on to medical school or graduate school, they will seek out those opportunities like I did when I was a postdoc, but early on and get involved in organizations of whatever kind of cancer or research that they are doing. And I think I have definitely made a difference. I've been teaching this particular cancer biology class. I believe I, I teach it with my colleague, Dr. Marco Bisafi, and we've been teaching it. This is our fifth year This coming up this fall. And uh, I have so many students that have come back to me and said that they're so involved in their cancer community or the specific cancer they're studying. And so I definitely feel that our class has made a difference. Now it's not me, it's what we do. And it's bringing in survivors to our classroom to have our students hear their stories and get to interact. And then the other thing is that we teach our students how to be able to communicate to science to non-experts. And we have a whole subclass within cancer biology on teaching them the art of science communication. And during that, our students have to prepare a uh, five-minute presentation on a cancer, generally it's on a pancreatic cancer journal article, and they don't get to use slides. They can, they can do some other kind of demonstration, but five minutes without slides, they can't show a graph. They have to describe it in a language that non-experts can understand. And I bring in the survivors to the class and the caregivers, and because I want to teach the students, and Marco as well, that there is the human side of cancer. It's just not the molecular biology only. And so the students present to these actual survivors and caregivers, and those caregivers and survivors, you've done it as well, get to be the ones to grade our students. So. I, I help grade as well, but they get an overall grade based on all the all, all the survivors, and and it makes it real for the students. Uh, and I can't begin to tell you how many students have come back and said, now that I'm in graduate school or medical school, I feel so comfortable being able to use uh, storytelling, if you will, to be able to communicate, and how important that is, and to see the light go on in the patients that I'm working with. So that's what I'm hoping that other universities will be able to do and start working with students at the undergraduate level and start teaching them these skills and not just the skills, but connecting them with, with, with the patients that have whatever cancer we are studying or, you know, it could be a different type of class, but a disease. Uh, they have to make it real by interacting and hearing their story and then having the students be able to explain to them some biology. So it's a win-win a for everybody that the survivors are helping them get better bedside manners and better connection.
Yeah, I've been very privileged to be on most, a lot of those, I think, from starting All of from them, the early, I want to say, I think, from the very beginning, and actually seeing the difference that you've gone through with, in the beginning, they were allowed to use slides and whatnot, and seeing the difference from going now, I mean, just their imagination on how they're trying to get the point across from designing t-shirts to, to do that, to different skits and things they did, it's really enjoyable to be there and watch that. You said it's not you, but... It is. I mean, you started this and had you not, then I don't know where we would be. But as a survivor, I'm very grateful that you have this program, that you've been able to take these young minds and kind of make them look and see it's more than just the science. We need to look at the human side of it. And I have a lot of questions, but we're not that great on times. I know we're going to have to have you come back. But I know one of the things you are doing, maybe you can touch on very briefly, is the research that you're doing with pomegranate and caffeine? Mm -hmm. Yes, so th that's another class that I teach. So the first class we were chatting about was cancer biology, which, which we interact very much with survivors and caregivers and teach them molecular biology. This class is a laboratory, a, a high-level molecular genetics. These are both senior-level classes, by the way. And for this class, the students do a semester-long research project on pancreatic cancer in which we treat the cancer cells with pomegranate and caffeine. And this became a interest of mine through an undergraduate student of mine from several years ago who wanted to, to try something different and use a natural product to be able to slow down the pancreatic cancer growth. And that had not been my, at a, another time we can talk about my, mm -hmm. my research with signal transduction pathway that I was working with Murray called transforming growth factor beta. But that would be another time. So <laughs> anyways, this was cheaper way to do things and I didn't have a lot of money when I was, in, when I was teaching with my students. So my student found pomegranate had some good anti-proliferative ways to inhibit the cancer growth. Um, so we tried that out and then another student said, well, I want to do a combination treatment. And so I'd let them kind of look and see what's out there. And caffeine alone also does great things to slow down cancer growth, different kinds of cancer. So we, we are the first ones to do this combination and we did a lot of work to figure out what the right amounts were and the amount of time to do the treatment. So now we all do this treatment, my, all my students in my class, and usually it's about 20 students and we treat them with or without this combination. And then we're looking at all of these genes that are signatures, if you will, that are being regulated by this treatment, either you know inhibiting ways that we're, we're most interested in ways that these genes are being regulated to slow down the cancer growth. And so then the students choose one of these particular genes that is of interest to them, and then they do all kinds of literature review, and they validate the initial findings by doing a different type of experiment. And uh, it's just amazing for them to take on this cancer research from beginning to end in one semester. Yeah, well, I'd like to have you come back. Like I said, just this subject alone, I think we could do for the full time. Mm -hmm. But thank you for being here and sharing your story. And I really appreciate everything you've done for all survivors and patients. And we all do, and have really loved being part of your class. So thank you so much. And please, we really do seriously want to have you come back and talk more, especially about the pomegranate and caffeine. I'm really interested on in how that even came to be. Sure. So, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having it. me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it. A tease of more things to come. 
as we continue this journey, this weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Tune in to future episodes of Living Hope, where we share the real-life stories of those really affected by this disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. If you'd like to share your story, by all means, contact us. And if you or anyone you know needs help right now, contact Patient Services at 877-2-PAN-CAN. That's 877 and the number 2, P-A-N-C-A-N. For the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For all those connected with the show, this is Paul Roberts inviting you to come back and reminding you that there's always some sort of living hope. Tune in as we share that with you each and every week. From the people, the researchers, the families, the friends, and the community riding along in this journey. Streaming live from the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.